welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, March 17th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. We are so grateful that we have this opportunity to go back and look at so many of the awesome interviews that we have heard and the awesome podcasts that we've been able to be a part of for the last four years. And many of you have been faithful listeners of the Defender Podcast all the way when we started it in 2017. And you've seen the, the changes that have happened in the podcast and one of the things we're really excited about is that starting in April, uh, we will actually have a co-host. So Dr. Rick, who has been uh, a faithful fill-in for me for best of episodes, as well as for times that I've just been away and not been able to record the podcast, he will actually join me as co-host. And so Dr. Rick and I will have the opportunity to talk about topics, as well as continue to interview folks, all the while keeping our eye on gospel hope for the vulnerable. Well, this week, we want to replay a podcast that's not too old yet. Uh, We actually interviewed Rick Burgess, who is of the Rick and Bubba Show, a nationally syndicated radio program, on April 22nd, 2020. And one of the things that I love about Rick is his heart for Christ-centered masculinity. And that's one of the things that we were able to talk to Rick about is the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. Rick has been a part of a book series uh, called How to Be a Man, and Rick also, his, he and his wife Sherry, uh, lost their one of their sons, their youngest son, to a tragic incident. And so you're going to get to hear a little bit about his pain, but ultimately through that pain, how Christ uh, reached into him to show him what it meant to be a godly Christian man. But before we hear from Rick, I want to remind you of our resources page. If you're in need of activity ideas, free Bible study materials, helpful articles, or other helps for your family, visit our resources page. And you can find that at lifelinechild.org backslash resources with an S. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash resources. Topics covered include adoption, attachment, siblings, medical needs, behavioral challenges, birth parents, how to address grief and trauma, and so, so much more. We're so grateful that the Lord has given us this platform to be able to give you these resources, to help put these resources in your hands as your family goes through this, or maybe your extended family needs help. Please visit this resources page. And as always, you can look in the show notes for more details as well. What a distinct honor to be joined by Rick Burgess a good friend and brother in Christ. He is the co-host of the nationally syndicated Rick and Bubba show, which is heard across the nation on 70 plus radio station and seen daily in over a hundred markets via the Heartland Network. Uh, Rick and his cohort Bubba have also appeared many times on Fox News as as well as several New York Times bestseller and charted uh, two comedy CDs on Billboard's comedy charts. Uh, Rick has so much energy, which I know is what people love about the Rick and Bubba show. Uh, Just uh, his euphoric energy, um, but also Rick and his wife Sherry have gone through tragedy as well. So not everything is is kicks and giggles. Um, And as they lost their son Bronner, 
um, many years ago. And Sherry has had the opportunity to write a book about that as well. And so I wanted to bring Rick on because one of the, the topics that Rick speaks on a lot is about being godly men and godly fathers. I wanted him to talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, he co-wrote a book called How to Be a Man uh, with the co-author Andy Blanks. And I just wanted Rick to be able to come on and talk to about godly manhood as well as overcoming grief and loss. So, Rick, thanks for joining us on the Defender Podcast. What an honor to be here and the work you guys do. I just I can't say enough about it. I, I know it's it's uh, it's tireless. Uh, you know, some of the stories you guys have to see and endure, but the Lord also allows you to see, uh, you know, how he uh, his grace and mercy is something that uh, continues to amaze. I, I say this a lot. I'm not really amazed that that, that horrible things happen because I know that uh, you know I'm a person that certainly. Uh, does not deserve the grace and mercy that God has shown me. I'm always more amazed by his grace and his mercy than than any issues that we may have brought on ourselves and how he continues to love us and uh, give us those uh, glimpses of heaven. And you guys certainly get to see both ends of that spectrum. Amen, brother. Well, I've been grateful to just be able to see up close the ministry that you guys have had through the Rick and Bubba show but then I think the ministry that God has platformed you on specifically to speak to men. And so, like, as we talked about, you wrote, co-authored this book, How to Be a Man with Andy Blanks. Um, can you discuss kind of the way the Lord revealed this to you, but also what does it mean to be a godly man? Well, first of all, you know, I, I'm, I was a C student from Calhoun County, Alabama, so I'm certainly not going to thrill anybody with my intellect, but... Uh, you know, I come from small town America and, you know, in small town America, one of the things that I think we are pretty good at is common sense. Uh, and uh, as uh, my parents talk, um, it, it's, it's definitely a gift from God. And we never knew we would live long enough for it to become apparently a superpower. Uh, but, um, w- you know, if you think about men's ministry, what do you hear every Father's Day? What, what does Barna and all the Christian research groups Every single time that we go out, even secular organizations, and they do a study, the same result keeps coming back, and that is there's an influence. Now, we believe it's God-given. The world can't really describe where it came from, but there's this influence that, that males have that is uniquely male. Uh, now, let me be very, very clear because it's easy for people to, to let their emotions rise up, and they don't listen to what I'm going to say next. Men and women are equal. Okay, 100% equal, equal uh, in value and equal as far as the, the, the females are needed and, and as much as any male is needed. And you need mom and dad. Uh, but I will say this, they are not the same. And that, that's the problem. And, and I think that's what a lot of people have missed. Men and women are equal biblically. They're, they're co-heirs with Christ. Uh, we even see that, that Peter's telling a man uh, that he should not be harsh with his wife. It alters his prayers to God. Uh, and, and the thing that is so wonderful about that is he says the weaker vessel. And of course the world goes, Oh, he says weaker vessel. He's not talking about weaker as in value. What he's saying is they break easier. You know, porcelain is actually more valuable than steel, but it, it breaks easier than steel. And so all he's saying is God, and, and Jesus even says this, as my father made them male and female, uh, we see in Genesis, right out of the gate, God says it's not good that man is alone. So I will now make for him the perfect helper, uh, the perfect partner, meaning he had not created it yet. And then he goes on record and he says, here comes the perfect helper uh, for man and the perfect partner for woman, and, and he made a woman. 
And, and he's never changed his standard throughout Scripture, and Jesus keeps affirming that standard. Paul affirms that standard. Peter affirms that standard. Then we get to the Revelation. What do we see? The bridegroom is coming for his bride. So this is a theme that's throughout Scripture. But what has happened is we've talked about the influence that God has given a man. But so in my common sense from Calhoun County, Alabama, about halfway between Birmingham and Atlanta, uh, if you want to know where I grew up, it's where you stopped to go to the restroom if you were traveling to Atlanta or you were traveling to Birmingham. Uh, it's where you stopped and went to the restroom. That's where I grew up. But anyway, about halfway. So I started thinking to myself, well, I don't like to, I like to work smart. Herbie, you may like to work smart. So I think if this is where God has given so much influence, why don't we try to fix that? Because if we can get men to be who God can only make them, who he's called us to be, Think of all the other problems we would solve in that process. Uh, you guys see that in what you do firsthand, uh, the absence of fathers, the absence of men. And so what I thought is, well, Satan already believes that if he destroys men, that he destroys the family, he destroys, you know, the, the many times the church and society. So why don't we go and spend, like if I was selling you, Herbie, you were investing money. And I said, well, if you invest this money with me, I have this one thing that'll get you about a 7% return. And that would be a child in the house if a child becomes a follower of Christ. Then I said, or you can invest with me and I can get you about a 23% return. That would be if the woman of the house becomes a devout follower of Jesus. I said, or if you invest with me, I can get you on the lowest day about a 78% return. And at one time research showed us that the influence of the man spiritually in the home had a 93% return. That has dropped off some, but still the, the lowest number you see now is about 78 so you would say, well, put my investment where I can get the most return. But for some reason, we don't really do that. And even in the church, what we see is a lot of churches are designed to cater to women and children, and then they hope a man will follow his children and his wife into the church. And that's not how a man was designed. Now, a man will appease his wife, and he'll patronize his children and think, well, this is good for them. But if you want him there, you're going to have to start speaking to him the way that, that God made a man. And you'll never reach a man and you'll never disciple a man if you continue to speak to him and talk to him like he's a woman or a child. So uh, we, we, we even got pushed back with the name of the devotional, uh, How to Be a Man. People are like, well, you can't say that. Talking about masculinity now has become so offensive. You can't even, you can't even bring the subject up. And uh, certainly there's a toxic masculinity, but why don't we fix that? So the How to Be a Man devotionals and even the uh, the ministry that we put together for men's ministry called themanchurch.com, where we have a full men's discipleship strategy that we put together, it is designed to say, if a man doesn't know how to be a man, here's, that I, here's a perfect idea. There's only one flawless example. That's when God became one. Mm. So God said, I'm going to become a man. Hey, Herbie, would you agree that? I bet that's a pretty good example. When God became one. <laughs> So, so because you know our fathers are flawed. I'm flawed as a father. But when when our when our perfect father came and took on human flesh and said, "I'll become a man," probably his teachings and the way he lived as a man are a great place to look. So we call it "How to Be a Man: The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity." And and we take eight characteristics: identity, which you have to get that right. A man's got to know his identity. Then integrity, purpose, surrender, passion commitment, compassion, and influence. And we go to what scripture said, or the person of Jesus lived and said, here's how that's done. And, uh, and we have seen incredible transformation 
uh, from the men who are willing to do it. And then that that kind of leapfrogged into themanchurch.com, which now lays out a full curriculum. Uh, it lays out a strategy. It certainly has resources like this devotional and other resources to, to help men uh, disciple other men. And so we've discovered that if you will, if you'll spend time on this, it can be frustrating, but your return on it is big. And the biggest fans of this are wives and women. Uh, the, the churches who have implemented this are the men who have been part of this. The women's who come up, women are ones who come up and go, Hey, thank you for that. Because you can't just keep telling a man, be the spiritual leader, be the spiritual leader. You need to be doing this. You need to be do that and not, and then not show him how to do it. So what men's ministry has been about for the longest time, Herbie, is high challenge, which there's nothing wrong with that. When I speak, I, I certainly challenge the men. I like to be challenged. Men like to be challenged. But if, you, if but what you have to do, you can't just do high challenge. you got to do high equipping. Because if you have high challenge, challenge and then low equipping, that leads to frustration. You have men confused going, y'all keep telling me what you want me to do, but I don't know, you're not giving me any instructions. So we've tried to take that on and not just challenge a man, you know, with high challenge, but to also offer him high equipping. That's so important because, you know, you, you talk about being from Calhoun County, but, but really all men are the same, no matter if they're Harvard educated, Oxford educated, or got a high school GED, right? We, we really don't know what to do unless someone models it for us. Men are great copycats. Like we, we will watch what other folks are doing and we'll copy what they're doing. And I love what you guys are doing with the, the man church and your men's Bible study. Like how can men get more connected with what you guys are doing? Because one of the great things is you don't have to be in Birmingham, Alabama. You're doing this digitally. Yeah, you can go to themanchurch.com because what we've noticed is Sometimes when you set up these Bible studies, even if you're at one of the few churches that actually do this, most churches have events, but they don't do that great with small uh, groups. And and even the ones that I've been to that I thought were pretty good only gave me six weeks. So on the seventh week, what, like you said, men just so they don't they don't start meeting again. So we set up a wheel to where they're they're they never leave discipleship. And our curriculum is actually forty weeks meaning we're going to give you a curriculum every year that's an entire year. And I teach 12 to 15 minutes on the video, so you can do it digitally at home. And then we give you a study guide that is also digital. You can print it out if you want to, but you can look at it on your phone, your computer, your iPad. And so you can watch the video, then go through the study guide. And uh, and then every week it's a brand new study guide and it's a brand new message. But we do five weeks on each one of these characteristics that I told you. Instead of 40 days like the devotional, the curriculum actually unpacks 40 weeks, and it's called The Pursuit, uh, The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. And uh, so we have that, and uh, we can help you. We've got people that will talk to you on the phone, help you implement it. So right now we can't do the gatherings because of the pandemic, but you can still do the curriculum digitally. And then if you want to put together Zoom, kind of like you and I are doing today, if you put together you know, a Zoom and once a week go, okay, guys, we watched week two on identity and we went through the study guide. Now let's all talk about it. And because I think some men go, you want me to teach a Bible study? I can't do that because they think we're going to make you expository teach on a book of the Bible. Well, I hope a man gets to the point that he can do that. And he certainly needs to pursue that. But you got to start somewhere. So we started with me being 12 to 15 minutes to kind of prompt, as you said, prompt mm-hmm. the conversation. And then they go through the study guide and they can discuss that together when we get back to gatherings or they can discuss it together 
uh, via the technology either way. But we, we're there and we got all kinds of resources for you there. And, and what we said, we even have some shirts that are pretty cool that have become really popular, Herbie. Simplify manhood for me. Okay. If you want to be a man, follow Jesus. Be a man, follow Jesus. If, if you, I don't care how many mountains you can climb. I don't care how many fights you've won, how many deer you've killed, how many fish you've caught, how much money you make, how popular you think you may be, how many women you've had. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a man. Mm-hmm. But here's the good news. If you feel kind of left out by the world's macho version of manhood and you don't really think that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a man, mm-hmm. period. Uh, because it, that's the perfect example. Followers of Jesus are real men because now they're under the authority of Christ, which means that influence that we just discussed now has become a blessing for their family, a blessing for the church, a blessing for society, an asset. If you're not under the authority of Christ, guess what, Herbie? The influence doesn't just go away. But now, and you've seen it firsthand, I have too, now you're an obstacle. Now you're a detriment. You're still there. Now you're just problematic. You know, either either by being absent and leaving that big gulf or by being there and being problematic. So we say, if you want to know how to be a man, submit to the authority of Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. Kind of going on that, you know, one of the things you said is how important it is for men in the leadership of their family. If you want to see families thrive, then then invest in the men. And, and certainly we both know from, from the word, but, but tell us, why is that so? Why do you think that's so, that the men are so important? Uh, you know, I can give you the harsh reality of, of, of what happened in our family because, you know, I was raised by a very authoritative uh, man who I love. I love my father, and my father certainly was flawed like, like we all are, but he did teach me, you know, how to do servant-type leadership. He was always that kind of leader. Now, he was authoritative, and, and it was clear but, uh, but there's a certain safety that comes with the, the man's presence in the home. And I think that, you know, they almost, that maternal instinct of mama is almost a given. I know we're getting to a point where that's not as much of a given as it once was, which is sad. But, but you know, it's almost like the children expect their mom to love them. They expect their mom to even care if they have a relationship with Jesus or go to the church. What they're not sure about is whether dad really does or not. You know, dad, dad's love is not a guarantee for children. They, it's not a given. Uh, now, I, some of you say, well, that's harsh. I'm just saying that's, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do as dads and as husbands is to make sure they know it. Hey, mm-hmm. I love you. I deem you a value. I work hard for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. Okay? Um, you need to know that you don't You don't have to earn uh, my, my love. You don't have to earn uh, you know, a, a, a connection to me. You know, we need to tell our children, especially our males, I'm proud of you. you you're, you're valuable to me. And of course, you have to show them that by actually letting them have some of your time. You know, I know people say all the time, it's quality time, not quantity. I don't know who came up with that. I think that was a, a guilt-ridden father. No, quantity does matter. You need to be around and you need to prioritize but, but the other part is this spiritual leadership that cannot, and, and but this is, this and I, look, there's men, if you're tuning to this right now, I've never had a man that has heard this and didn't say, I'll never forget that, okay? And, and I think God allowed me to go through it so we all could have it. And my wife, and Herbie, you know my wife pretty well, my wife could sit down and take you through Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the Revelation, and would explain the Bible from the beginning to the end. She loves the Word of God. 
She can sit down and hold her own theologically with any man or woman, anywhere, anytime. Okay. She knows the word. She loves her savior. She loves her God and she serves him. However, uh, in 2008, Herbie mentioned it. I have five children and our youngest child at two and a half, I was speaking at an event in Tennessee. And while I was away, um, our youngest son somehow got the door unlocked and we didn't, we didn't think he could and got out of the house, fell into our swimming pool and drowned. So when my wife called me, I'm five hours away. Okay. And people were trying to get airplanes to me and all this. And she writes in her book, uh, Bronner, a journey to understand our, our son's name is Bronner and it's now available on audio, by the way, just came out on audio. So if you want to hear her narrate this to you, it is an unbelievable experience. You'll, you'll never forget it, but uh, so you can get it on audio now too. But so she describes in chapter four, which is the chapter that every man should read. Even if you just take the book and read that chapter and that's all you read or listen to it, because here's this woman that knows everything about God. And you would think, well, this woman doesn't really need her husband to do anything in the spiritual department. She's a strong woman. She knows the whole deal. And she described the moment when our son, they were trying to revive him. And she said she was there and I'm trying to make my way to her. And she said, I could, I, I was praying and praying and praying. And I felt my, I couldn't hear, believe that what I was saying, but I, she said, I could hear myself saying, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. And she said, I couldn't say that. You know, of course, this reminds me of Romans chapter eight, when Paul says, sometimes the Holy Spirit prays what you ought to be praying, mm -hmm. you know, because there's certain things we can't pray, you know, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll come in and pray it for you. So she was experiencing this. And of course, as soon as she finished saying that, the doctor looked at her and said, we're going to have to stop. You know, we we're, he's not coming back. So she then describes what every single man listening to this or watching this needs to hear. She said, so at that point, they handed me the body of our, our child. And she said, as I was rocking him, she said, people were wanting, understandably, to get to me, to comfort me. And she said, our pastor was there. She said, friends from the church were there. Our friends, some of the friends got there, and some of our family members got there. And she said, and they all were trying to comfort me and trying to comfort our children. But you could tell there was an awkwardness that everybody knew one thing to be true. They couldn't be my husband. They couldn't be the children's father. So we waited on him because no one could replace him. Wow. I mean, I mean, here's a woman that, that as I said, you know, there, I admit up to that point, I thought to myself, I got some work to do, do here, but I don't have a lot of work to do here. She's so solid, you know, and she can certainly disciple our kids she can certainly do all this. But in her moment of despair, she needed her husband to remind her of what the Word of God said. She needed her husband to look her in the eye and say, let's remember the promises of the Lord. She needed her husband to read Psalms 139 to her, you know, that, that, that he knew the number of our child's day, that when he wove him together in your womb before he'd ever lived one. You know, that Romans chapter 8, and, and she just wanted that to be read to her over and over again. And so I think what we have to understand is we can't be replaced. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. God cannot set up the family and go, well, some of these people just aren't needed. She's not needed or he's not needed. We're both equally needed. And I think sometimes we think the mom is all they need. I, I, re I remember when I was um, 
we first started going to church. I became a follower of Jesus when Sherry and I got married. We both came under the authority of Christ in pre-marriage counseling. So when we were married, we came back from our honeymoon and plugged into the first church as adults and began to be discipled and growing. And, and I remember going to church because I worked early hours in my living, uh, way I make a living. And so I would come home um, for the weekend, and on Sunday I would sleep to the very last minute, and I would walk out dressed. Sherry would have the kids ready, and we would go off to church. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I was going every Sunday. I was excited about it. And then God convicted me, your children don't are not buying it. And I'm like, what is this conviction I'm under right now? I'm going to church. And the conviction was, but I wasn't leading. What was happening is the children said, well, here's mama getting us all up to go to church because it's it's important to her. She values it, values it. And here comes dad out the last minute and he's patronizing mom. He's going along with it because he knows it's something mom cares about. And so God convicted me and I got up first Look, this is not legalism. This is just showing, showing God showed me that this matters. So the first pe- person that my children saw on Sunday mornings, and if they're home now, it's still the same way. They saw me. They saw their dad. Their dad came into the room and said, let's get up and let's get to moving. Let's get yourself ready. We're going to church. We're going to worship. And then I let my wife get up last, not me. And so I'm the ones, now when they were younger, I, I didn't do a very good job of getting them dressed, but she would help me with who need to wear what. But that's not the point. The point was I wasn't replacing her because mama can get them ready better than I can. But I, they saw, oh my goodness, we didn't know this was a priority to dad. If it's a priority to dad, it must be a big deal because that's influence that God has given us as men that she can't replace. And my wife will tell you this, when it comes to males, and certainly with our, with our daughters, they need to, they need to see what, what it looks like in a man, and, what, and they need to feel comfortable, and they need to be confirmed by us. But our sons, there's a time when life starts. And my wife said it again. This is a powerful woman. She goes, when they hit puberty, she said, you can tell that I don't have the influence over them that, that you do. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, they're not disrespectful. She goes, but I can say, pick that up, and it'll lay there. And then you'll walk in the room and say, hey, guys, pick that up, and they'll go get it. She goes, there's a tone that comes from the dad, especially in the males, that a woman just doesn't have. And that doesn't mean inequality. It just means not same. There's not, it's not the same. There's things that the mother provides for them that we can't provide. I saw that, you know, with, with, the connect, with our grieving of our, our son. You know, there was a mourning that was coming out of her womb, and that doesn't matter whether you're a biological parent or you're an adoptive parent or you're a step-parent. Those women are drawn to those children in, in a way that comes from the womb that we're not in on. We're just, mm-hmm. we're not in on that connection, you know, and there's an influence that we have that they're not in on. But, uh, but, but, but that's one thing I learned. They, they're looking to dad to see if it's real. Amen. Well, Rick, one of the things that I've admired about you and Sherry, and you've you've talked about this openly on the radio and in your speaking events, is that in a lot of ways, since Bronner's passing, you guys are closer than you were before. And unfortunately, and you've you've said it and the stats reveal it, a lot of marriages crumble after the loss of a child. And I know y'all have had hardships, and I know there have been difficult days and dark days and days that you thought you'd never wake up. Um, I don't want to take that away, 
But at the same time, I think for all of us that know you, you guys are closer, tighter, more in line and more in step now. How do you attribute that for other folks that have experienced loss and trauma? How do they, how do they emerge out of that stronger and closer together? Well, there's a couple things. And, and again, uh, I, I, I don't want to be offensive, but I do want to speak truth because the people who told me the truth, the only people who ever helped me anyway. But, but anyway, so I, I think like with a lot of things, I think trauma reveals the state of the marriage. Mm. I don't think it destroys good marriages. I think it reveals bad marriages. It reveals weakness. It, reve- it reveals marriages that are already in trouble. And uh, so what I would say is a strong marriage that is, that is based at the foot of the cross. You know, I never forget the guy that led Sherry and I and convinced us that we were cultural Christians and we needed to come under the authority of Christ. We'd never really experienced true salvation. That was 100% true by the fruit of my life. And uh, he said, you guys have got to get like a triangle, you know, and you got to put Jesus at the top of the triangle and then you and Sherry at the two, you know, uh, the two corners at the bottom. And as both of you pursue Jesus, you'll meet each other at him. And then you both equally submit to him. And so I think you have to get to the point where you say, I love Jesus so much. This is how I'm going to treat my wife. And she says, I love Jesus so much. So this is how I'm going to respect my husband. And what it is many times, I'm not, I'm not worthy of the respect that, that Sherry should give me. So she just says, today, I'm going to respect you because I told Jesus I would, not because you're being so wonderful. And then on days when I look to the Bible, it says, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for the church. There's days that I go to my wife and say, I'm going to give myself up for you today, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you because I told Jesus I would. And don't let people tell you this garbage about marriage is 50-50. That's the biggest lie from the pits of hell. Marriage is 90-10, 80-20, 75-25, 60-40, 40-60. Somebody sometimes is carrying the load, okay? It, it just doesn't work out to be 50-50, you know? And so you have to be willing to say that Christ is what fulfills me. Don't put that kind of pressure on that person. You know, don't, don't, don't put that pressure on that person saying everything that I got to have has got to come from you. We, nobody can take that kind of pressure. Nobody can live up to that. So what you do is you go warts and all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you go down to the foot of the cross and say, our marriage belongs to Jesus. And so however they, it says marriage looks, that's the way it's going to look, no matter what the situation is. And so what happens is when trauma comes into a marriage that's based at the foot of the cross, then these two people, instead of running away from each other or blaming each other, they actually run to each other and like First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and gold perishes when it's refined by fire, but that your faith, your marriage, would actually pass the test, and it would, it would actually lead to the revelation and the glorification of Jesus. So, so I, I, it goes back to this thing before when people said, that, that Christian marriages divorce at the same rate of non-Christian, you know, that's not true either. We're letting people get away with calling things Christian that are not Christian. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like you go to a marriage and you go, are y'all Christians? Yeah. Do you go to church? No. What? Do y'all study the Bible together? No. Do y'all pray together? No, not really. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? No, I believe there's many ways to heaven. Okay, we shouldn't have put you in the Christian category. You know, and, and, and but when you get into Christian marriages that, 
pray together, are involved in a local church, study the Bible together. Did you know that you find that those types of marriages that actually pass the biblical test of Christianity don't divorce hardly ever? Mm. I, I mean, the, the, I mean they, they divorce at a rate of less than 1% uh, because we, there was an organization one time, uh, it was the Catholic Church, and they said, okay, let's take some of these people that call themselves Christian and let's ask them some questions. And when a question comes up that does not meet the standard of, of a Christian marriage, we're going to throw it out. And they came mm. down to it was less than 1%. So I think that's the same thing with trauma. I think all trauma does is reveal the state of the marriage. Uh, and and if, it's a, if it's a powerful marriage uh, like ours under the authority of Christ, then it gets stronger. If it was a marriage that uh, was not what it was supposed to be, then, yeah, tragedy usually destroys it. You know, part of even you guys going through this tragedy, it was lived out publicly. And for people have never heard the Rick and Bubba show, you know, is it goes out to a million people a week. Uh, there are a lot of people who listen to the show. And I mean, I, I think so many over time too, that probably even, you know, these analytics don't capture the people whose reach yeah. that, that your show has had, you know, you had to live out this trauma very publicly. I mean, obviously y'all had a, y'all had a season where you were able to get away, but you had to go back to work. And for you, work wasn't an office with a couple of coworkers it was a it was a crowd of a million people, and brother, I, I I for one have said how much that I know that was hard, but how much y'all walking through that publicly really glorified Christ in so many different ways. But but what was it like when you had to go back on the radio after experiencing one of the most traumatic things yeah. any parent could ever go through? Well, you know, it started at the memorial service. I, I thought I was going to get up and I was just going to thank some people for being there and thank everybody for being so kind to us. Um, and before I knew it, 30 minutes had passed and I actually did a whole message and our IT guy at the time, um, um, decided that he would record it for the fans of the show and for our family, for people that couldn't be there. There was about two, 3000 people that came to the memorial service. And we had a graveside service just for our family. And we wanted, we knew that this was an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus when my pastor was going to do that. And he gave me this about uh, six, seven months ago. He remembered that he had a message that he never delivered and he gave it to me. He said, here's the message I never gave uh, <laughs> because I didn't know that you were going to, to give a message. And I didn't either. Uh, it was totally supernatural. And um, so he recorded that message and uh, in those days, YouTube would only let you record 10 minutes max. So he did it in three segments of 10 minutes. Uh, and he got, he went back to the office and I remember getting this request. Do you care if we post this? And I'm like, post it. He's like, yeah, this thing called YouTube. He, and, and YouTube was invented the year that Bronner was born, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so this is two and a half years later. And he, I, he said, so there's a lot of fans of the show that wanted to hear the memorial service and Bubba and Speedy and all the guys that come back. And I was telling them, you actually gave a message. And I said, well, sure. Yeah, if, if the fans of the show want to see that, that's fine. So he puts it up and it became the number one most viewed video in the world for mm -hmm. a week because pain and suffering once again. You know, C.S. Lewis said it, pain and suffering is God's megaphone for a sleeping world. People looked mm -hmm. and said, okay, this guy just buried his son. I'm going to give him a pass today and listen to what he has to say. I'm, I'm yeah. going to drop all this. I don't want to hear from some Christian. I really want to know if this guy's faith is really, is he still praising God? Is he, what is, what is this? 
And so, and then we had thousands and thousands of people make decisions for Christ. We had over 200 there in the room. And so when that was over, I was exhausted. And I remember Sherry, when she was up there uh, and just putting her hands up in the air and you could see her just reaching and grabbing for God. She wanted to, we wanted, we just ran to God. You know, Sherry says this in her book, you got a choice. You can run away from him or you can run to him and just be completely transformed by it. You know, God is near to the brokenhearted. And so, um, so, but, but then we get to the day that we're going back on the show to your point and there's no soft opening. You know, you don't ease back into it. You're thrown right back out there. So we had, uh, God had given us this little farm, which we didn't know why at the time, which is another story we don't have time for today, but we knew then what it was, was a refuge and it's still a refuge for us. I mean, there was this little tiny farmhouse. I'm talking about tiny. Um, and all of us were crammed in there together. Uh, the, and, and we loved it. We had no TV. We had no anything. We were just trying to survive. And so I walked out of the little bedroom. And I mean, literally, you can see the end of the bed from the chair I was sitting in. I mean, the, the house is that tiny. And I was trying to put my shoes on and I to go back to work and I couldn't get them tied. I would bend down to time and I just didn't have any. I just couldn't do it. And, uh, and I'd always been raised, you know, you stand up, you, you, you stand up, you, you, you rise to the occasion. You don't let anybody run over you. You got to be tough. You got to be strong. And so, you know, and there's certainly nothing wrong with those things uh, unless it becomes self-sufficiency. Then it can be sin. I didn't understand that concept. And, but, but God was going to make sure that I did. And, and so I said, um, Lord, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to say something funny again? What am I saying today? What am I doing? I can't go back and do it. And there were people that started the, he won't come back to the show. Some of those rumors were out there. You saw him do the message. He's going to be a preacher now, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, which, you know, I, I, can you imagine me as your pastor? But anyway, so uh, um, I was, um, I, I, I just said, Lord, I can't do this. Can't. I said, I, you want me to do this? I can't even tie my shoe. And in that moment, Herbie and every person listening to this, I heard so clear in the Holy Spirit, not audibly, but just in the spirit, that whisper, now you're ready. Mm. And I was like, what? Your problem has not been that you're not strong enough. You've been raised to be strong. Your problem is you're not weak enough. Mm. And now I have done whatever I needed to do, refine you, and I've broken you down, Rick, to the point that you're asking me to help you tie your shoes. Now I can use you in a way that I never could have before. And, and that has been the truth. People will even say this. They go, you ever heard Rick speak? Somebody said, yeah, I think I did. When was it? Oh, 2005. They'll go, ah, oh, you hadn't heard him speak then. <laughs> if you hadn't heard from 2008 <laughs> on, the, the, you know, and Sherry and I even say this, we'll see somebody like a young uh, aspiring pastor and they'll be great. They'll be great guys, you know, really going to do well. And Sherry will lean over to me and she'll go, he's going to be awesome when he suffers. You know, and, you know and I'm like, yeah, man, when he gets, when he gets that suffering baritone, man, he's going to be great, but there's a tone to it. You know, there's, you know, you think about Paul and, and, uh, and I didn't know it at the time. It didn't come to me in that moment. It has years later, but here's Paul in second Corinthians 12 and he's doing the same thing. He, he's saying, Hey Lord, I've got this terrible thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was, but it, it but it's, it's bothering him. It's torturing him. He said, a demon has been sent to torture me with this. And I keep pleading. I love the word pleading. I've pleaded with you to remove this, and you won't remove it. He said, but I understand it's, it's to remind me to keep me humble 
you know, because Paul had people making a big deal out of Paul, and he'd also been taken up and saw a vision of heaven, you know, that God had given him. He said, and, and you know, it could have made him arrogant. And he said, so God has kept this, whatever this suffering was. And of course, he suffered greatly. It wasn't just this. You know, he was stoned and beaten and all kinds of calamity. And he says, he said, this is to keep me humble. So I celebrate my weakness. I celebrate calamity. He said, because when I'm weak, that's when, that's when I'm finally strong. And, and that's it. Sometimes God will do whatever he needs to do to give us our best shot. And uh, I can tell you that it, it changed my life. Pain and suffering did. And it hasn't been the only thing that we've struggled with. I mean, you know, we've had battles that have also been public that uh, we, you know, you can't help it. You know, I've had people before go, I don't, why did, why did you, why do you, I said, I, I didn't choose for it to be public. Just when things happen to us, it's public. And uh, so then we got to stand uh, and be sure that people see us standing with the Lord in any circumstance, because um, look, I've searched this whole place. There's nothing better than him. I mean, I mean, I loved hearing my youngest son as far as the one that's still, he's second to the youngest, but the youngest one that's with us here on earth. I remember going to him one time and I said, tell me about your faith. And he said, dad, I've searched everything else. The only thing that makes any sense. And, and, and I said, you know, well said, well said. I hope you don't make the mistakes of your daddy and you go ahead and get it now when you're young. You know, and all my kids are at different levels of their spiritual health, but but he's just one that said, look, we went through that. I was six years old. I was standing there praying with a fireman. This fireman went to give his life to Christ that night from a six-year-old little boy. And he said, I just look around. He's 19. Well, I'll be 19 in May. And uh, he says, it's some things that made sense to me. And, and I think that's, that's a lot of wisdom for a young guy, from a young guy. Just understand he's the only, th- he's the only thing that makes any sense, when, even when it doesn't seem like anything else does. Well, brother, I, I, I love and appreciate you so much. And you are one of those examples of doing everything for the glory of God, whatever you do, whether it's speaking or radio or writing or, or just in one-on-one relationships. And, and I know that doesn't always get everything right, but man, you always give the glory back to God. And I, I appreciate that. And I know that so many will be touched by these words, both to encourage their husbands to be a better husband uh, but also to seek Christ in their marriage. Thank you for joining us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And if we can be of any help to any of you, just just let us know. Like I say, Sherry's book is Bronner, A Journey to Understand. It's available where books are sold. It's also an audio. And if we can help you with these devotionals, our discipleship strategy for you as an individual or for your church or your men's ministry, just themanchurch.com. So encourage folks, go to rickandbubba.com to hear more about the show. It's certainly a blessing to so many. Thank you. Great, don't forget you and appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I appreciate the time. And don't forget our Wednesday Bible study, too. We have that on YouTube every Wednesday uh, there at rickandbubba.com. So I'd love to have you for that, too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.